So, uh, hey, Mike. Hey, Colin. Welcome to our show. This is what, 33rd one? 33rd, yeah. We haven't done one uh, for a week or so because we kind of forgot last week. You were here. We were busy. Yeah, we were doing stuff. Yeah. Um, app. It's in the App Store. Clip yeah, Clipper app. Why? That's not good. Hold on. Okay. I set a camera down on top of my keyboard. Mm. Um, yeah. How did that go? It's up now. We're we had we had a couple issues, but we are set now. It is in the store. We are. I don't know. I I assume someday Apple's going to give us money. I, yeah, we should have probably figured out how that works before, but yeah. I'm not sure they tell you. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they send we, gift cards. <laughs> <laughs> I gave them a, a, like all the information for a wire transfer, but I haven't seen anything yet. I don't think they pay every eight hours like our reliable credit card processors do. No, I suspect it's more like every net 30 or 90 or something. Yeah. It might, might be gift cards. Yeah. iTunes gift cards. <laughs> that would be hilarious. That would be awesome. Um, so, yeah. So, if you are a existing Clipper app user and want to move over to the App Store, uh, you can check the email we sent you with a special upgrade offer. You can get a steep discount on our other product, Scopebox, if you choose to repurchase on the App Store. Unfortunately, we cannot just give you an App Store copy because Apple does not let us. Yes. Um, but... Otherwise, yeah, and we've done a blog post and some other information just to understand how we're handling the addition of the App Store, not transition, because we're continuing to support direct sales and see that continuing for the foreseeable future. Um, We're not discontinuing support for existing users or anything like that. Yeah, and I mean, let's be realistic. Like, we, I have no love for the App Store. I mean, it's, I do as a user. Yeah. I've been transitioning some of my software to it. Um, it's definitely convenient when you wipe a machine or upgrade it and you just hit the one button and get all your apps back. Sorry. But it is um, it is not developer-friendly. Right. It's both not developer-friendly from the perspective of getting your app in, which we can talk about a little bit, and also, right. obviously, you know, uh, Apple takes a pretty significant cut. And so... And sort of insulates, I mean, and sort and does all of the middleman things that make middlemans bad. Right. So we don't get right. direct contact with our users. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's basically the worst possible system you could design, except that it's better than it. Not having it. Right. Yeah, I'm in the same camp as you. Like, as a user, I want to buy all my software there. And as a developer, I want to sell all my software directly. Yeah. Um, which obviously is a bit of a, uh, I don't know, there's a bit of hypocrisy there. Yeah. I mean, so you can buy either place. Um, please buy direct from us or buy from both. But don't just buy from them. <laughs> Um, if you if you are going to buy from the Mac App Store, please write a review um, because those really do matter on the store. Yeah, and, and you know, um, if you have issues and you bought from the Mac App Store, please contact support uh, directly. Um, there's a link on the App Store thing. 
or our website because uh, we don't have the option of responding to reviews. I think a lot of people think that posting a review is the way to get support because you sort of put it out there in the public, but developers, unlike... Um, it's not like Yelp. Right, right. It's not like Yelp or Travelocity or something where the... Uh, or TripAdvisor, I mean, where the the business can come in and post a response and you can sort of resolve things. Uh, you post your, your review saying it doesn't work and then we have to look at that review and think, boy, I wish we could send you an email, but we don't have any way to reach you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, shoot us an email um, or give us a call or whatever you'd like. And that's that's the App Store. Um, and yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I mean, we've only been... In the store for a little under a week, um, on and off. We had a couple days of outage. Um, but, yeah, the numbers are looking pretty good. I mean, we're getting we're getting a healthy amount of sales through the store. Um, I'll, I would say about 80% of them are coming at the cost of cannibalizing existing sales. Um so it's been I – don't, I don't think we're having the traditional experience that most Mac developers have in the store. Uh, one, one, because we're making money. And two, because, uh, you know, Clipwrap – I think this would be different if we were doing an app like Scopebox where people actually seek the app out um, because they read about it somewhere. I mean, the majority of Clipwrap users, my intuition is that they buy it – um, because they have some footage sitting on their desktop that they can't load into whatever their app of choice is. And that, you know, they hit Google and 20 minutes later they've bought an app. And if it wasn't ClipRap, another 20 minutes later they go back to Google and then hopefully that time they find us. Um, but, yeah, I don't... My impression is that we we don't, you know, we're... We're, we're, the, we're the solution to a problem that people are searching for on the Internet. And so the Mac App Store, you know, because one of the nice features that the App Store has is this new, like, open file with apps in App Store thing. So if you double-click on a file that your system doesn't know how to open, it gives you the option of going to the App Store and showing a list of all of the apps that will open that file. And so for M2T and M2TS and MTS and all the others, we now show up in those searches. Um, and so I suspect that's where we're going to get a lot of people, and that's going to short-circuit that Google search that people used to do. So um, I think that's why we're seeing, you know, most of the most of the people I know who are doing direct and Mac App Store, say, or who are doing direct for a period of time before they listed in the App Store, the same way we were, um, they say that Mac App Store, you know, is just sort of a second revenue stream and it doesn't affect your sales, your direct sales at all. And that's definitely not what we're seeing. And I think it's just because of the nature of the the way users find us. Yeah. The other thing I'd add is I think the last time at least I talked to some other developers about this stuff was probably six months ago, WWDC time. Um, obviously since then we've had mountain lion ship. A lot of people have moved OSs and I think there are probably more people looking at the store than even back then. So yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. Although, you know, even the people I talked to, you know, I did a quick Twitter survey 
or like iChat survey the other day of friends I know who have app store apps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it seems like it's it's becoming more popular, not less popular, which is one of the reasons why we've finally jumped in. And uh, unfortunately, it seems like it's becoming less maintained. Right. Yeah. So that's the other thing we should talk about. Um, Before we move on, I was just going to add one other thing about sales is that I'll be interested maybe after our first month to do some analytics and break out um, domestic versus international sales and how those compare to our old numbers, because I'd be very interested to know if um, certain regions are over underrepresented in app store purchases at this point. Yeah, that will be interesting. And we'll, we'll, once we've got some more data to talk about, yeah, we should, we'll report back on uh, should revisit. Um, yeah, I mean, the other thing worth mentioning with the App Store is it is a slow and tedious process for us to update our apps. So we shipped the app in the App Store last Wednesday. I think the first time we submitted the app to the store for approval was a month and a half before that? Mm, not quite that long, more like a month, I think. Um, yeah. So basically when we find, so two, five, eight, we released Monday on our site and via our auto updater, which only exists in the copies of the app bought direct. Um, we're, I mean, from all of the numbers I'm seeing floating around from other developers, we're probably a good two and a half weeks still away from getting it approved for the App Store. Right. Um, I mean, the number most people are floating right now is 25 days for approval. You know, one thing I'm not clear on, have you heard whether the pool of reviewers is shared between the two stores, the iOS and the Mac App Store? I don't know. I mean, that would make sense that they would be slow right now because everyone's trying to get iOS apps updated for the iPhone 5. I mean, the other thing I wonder, though, is... And I... I, One of the things I don't get, and this isn't Apple-specific, but it was one of the things that I dealt with a lot at the U as well, is that people get into these sort of um, patterns where it takes X number of days to respond. You know, it takes us six days to respond to a support email or something. And they'll sort of get to that number and then never really slips any further. Right. So I don't understand why you don't just sort of throw a little bit of extra resources at it and get it up to one day, and then you stay there instead of staying at eight days, and everyone's happier. Yeah, that, I don't get that either. I mean, it does seem like it's actively slipping slower. But, I mean, it's been... A, we started this process, it was an 18-day turnaround, according but, to, like... Right, but up until very recently, it had been at that 17, 18 days for quite a while. But, yes, there's no reason why they couldn't just burn through the back... Just approve everything. Just approve all the apps that are in the back. Like, that should be their, that should be their corporate policy. If we get two weeks behind, fuck it. Everything's approved. Or, or something. Or, like, or, what's the worst that happens? You have to shit can apps later? They do that all the time. Yeah. Like, I just, I, we I, failed as a company at doing this. We're going to crowdsource the approval process. Right. I mean, just let people complain about the apps, refund all their money, take it as a loss, like, don't even charge the developer, and just reset the queue. Right. Or, this or, is ridiculous. They've or got take some of your of money. yeah, take some of your hundred and fifty billion dollars cash, 
and hire a bunch of $18 an hour Austin hipsters at your campus and have them review. I mean, this is a very solvable problem because you can actually just throw resources at it. Right. I mean, they can say that they have all these highly trained people, and I'm sure some of them are, but they're not all good at this. Right. And I get that, you know, they run the app store at break even, and, you know, maybe there's pressure to not grow. I don't know. But it just, the fact that the, anytime you're staying at a roughly fixed lag, I really just don't believe that that's the best possible solution i don't know it just it annoys me in many many spaces right Um, so in any case so we released 258 we don't expect it to be available to app store customers for at least another two weeks um and yeah i mean yeah we're, we're gonna have to look at this again i don't know it just and the problem for us is that because uh, if Apple rejects you for some reason, you sort of start over at the beginning of the queue. Um, well, that, I mean, that's what slowed us down the first time. Because when you don't, when you're first starting, they have right. lots of unspoken rules that they can get you on. But, and I mean, we don't have the kind of app that competes with anything Apple does, really. So we're not going to get the sort of nebulous declines later, which is seems to be so there's two sources of declines you launch the app and you don't know about all the unwritten rules and you run afoul of a few of them and then you you know you just learn them as you go and then the odd you know or you know when you do a major upgrade you hit new unwritten rules that you didn't know about but you know there's nothing coming in the pipe on clip wrap that's gonna be like you know I don't know. Just so you guys know, we're not doing, you know, Twitter integration or anything that we need to worry about implementing right as far as the the future. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And then the other, you know, the other group of people that have constant problems are people who are like working sort of in the wheelhouse of iOS apps because they constantly get dicked with when Apple decides they don't want competition anymore. Right. Um, yeah, the one I saw today is you can't open podcast links anymore. Yeah, I, and and then there's also there's a there's a third case which is reviewer having a bad day or something like that, and there are things that get rejected that any other reviewer on any other day wouldn't reject. Um, and I'm not sure if that one, I don't know, I'm not sure where that one falls. But I've yeah. seen the problem is like a lot of times once they do it, they just double down. Right. Like, you escalate it, and the next guy's job, like the guy higher up, their job is not to be like, oh, yeah, wait, yeah, that's, yeah, we do that. Never mind. Right. It's like to just like, oh, well, yeah, we do need to write this into the official review policy. Yeah. You know, like there's apparently Stripe apps aren't in the App Store anymore either. Huh. That's weird. Because it, they you, they don't want you, you doing, yeah, some guy who made an app where you could buy stuff using Stripe. Got declined because it doesn't use the App Store in-app purchases. Weird. So is Square going to get declined? Yeah, you wonder. Hmm. I mean, no, they're not. Like, you don't really want <laughs> Like, Apple's not going to do that. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, and PayPal and Groupon just launched one today, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
I am so excited for that Linux phone to come out. It's going to get some on these issues and be really good. And then we'll have that marketplace where we can reach millions and millions of people without dealing with the global hegemonies. Um, yeah. Just to finish a thought anyways, um, one of the reasons, and you can read this in our blog post, but um, one of the reasons that we've chosen to release our direct-to-sales versions when we're done with them at the same time we issue them for Apple approval um, gets back to this idea I was talking about, which is that if you're rejected, you get thrown back at the start of the queue, that if we run into something or we hear about something, we can short-circuit that process, fix a bug, and resubmit it to Apple and at least only lose a few days rather than waiting until the end of the review cycle finding out about an issue and then having to start the whole thing over while we're already seeding a bad version in the store. And so there's this trade-off, like you know, you don't want to treat your App Store customers as second-class citizens, but you also, you know... They live in a third-world country. Right. You're, they're either going to be second-class citizens in that they get releases late, or they'll be second-class citizens in that they end up stuck with problematic releases for extended periods, as far as I can tell. Or, or we'll all be second-class citizens. Right. Like, I'm sorry. I wish it was better. Yeah. If you would like to start a letter writing campaign, I have 50 shares of Apple that I can vote for me as CEO. If you guys can round up the rest of the shares, we can replace Tim Cook and get this fixed. <laughs> your shares will be worth much less money, but our app will be approved quicker. Yeah. I promise. And I will take an opportunity to buy shares. <laughs> when it goes down or when it goes yeah, up? Yeah, when it goes down. Oh, you think I'm going to get booted right away? Oh. I can drive this thing all the way into Penny Stock. Sweet. And then we'll just uh, reanimate Steve. And... Mm, yeah. I don't know. No. It's been a year. Hey, speaking of other things that happened a year ago. Wait. Something, 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 iPhone 5. <laughs> okay iPhone 5 came out. Yay! It didn't come out. It's it coming out. got announced. It's coming t- Friday. And you're buying one. Yeah, I already bought one. Nice. Switched to Verizon. Nice. Pretty excited. Yeah, we'll see. It, um, you've already upgraded to iOS 6, right? Yeah, an hour or so ago. Yeah. So everything I'm hearing is that it... It's ugly. Yeah. I mean, it's not. Sounds, it's not ugly. No just individual app is. Yeah, no individual app is ugly. It just seems really inconsistent as you move between apps. So yeah, it sounds like there's no one at the top who gives a shit enough to push back the rollout anymore. That's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Which is what got leaked the other week, right? Like Forstall is in charge of all that now. Well, it's like Forstall and Johnny fighting each other or something. Well, but it sounds like Forstall, I mean, it sounds like it got someone on Johnny's side was the one who leaked the story. Yeah. And the complaint is that Johnny doesn't have any control over software. Yeah. Just hardware design. Um, yeah, they should probably not let Forstall do anything. Yeah, pretty much. Except do his bug eye thing in the videos. <laughs> Sorry about the bug eyes, Janine. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sh- we'll see. Obviously, I haven't really played with it, um, but, you know, yeah, it doesn't, we'll see. 
phone should be nice, though. The phone looks like very nice hardware. I'll be eager to uh, give it a try on Friday. And yeah, you should jailbreak it and run iOS 5 on it. Yeah, probably. That's probably the right thing to do. Can you run Android on those yet? I'm sure someone's done haven't they? I think so, actually, yeah. But um, uh, what was the other? Uh, is there something else? Let me tab back to uh, our notes here. Oh, the lightning connector. The most interesting thing, I think, of the whole announcement is the lightning connector. Um, yes. This is the replacement for the dot connector. And it's going to ruin middle-class America in the middle of a recession. But uh, beyond that, it also is a new connector with many new capabilities, most of which don't exist yet. But the reason I wanted to bring it up, um, two things. One is that there are indications that this connector allows the device to serve as a USB host and not just a USB slave, which means you can connect sort of dumb devices to the like a mouse or a keyboard or a camera to the phone directly without needing an intermediary controller. Um, I think there is also some reason to believe, and honestly, I think it would be insane if this weren't the case, that there is a roadmap that has lightning connectors supporting USB 3 at a point in the future. Yeah, so my understanding is that this is like a bunch of pins that are backed by... Um, like, like an FPGA. Yeah. Like, they just are completely arbitrary pins. Um... And so I think there's some sort of signaling in the cable to tell the connector what to be. I think that is correct. And so you're never going to be able to just be a USB host. You might be able to get like a USB host lightning connector USB dongle. Right. It just wouldn't need to have an actual host controller in it. Right. That's, I guess but it would have to have some other kind of controller in it. Well, or, you know, like a, a resistor yeah, array exactly. or something. My understanding or, is it's based on shorting ground with certain resistance against a certain pin. Yeah. Because it's detected on insertion. Yeah, they... I mean, we'll, I we'll, we'll, know, we'll know more once I fix it, tears things down. But someone was speculating that basically the way the insertion works inside the phone is that they're, during insertion, there's an intentional short to ground that they can use to detect what... Right, I mean, that's how they've done everything. I mean, that's how they do the little remote, the inline remote, and that's how they do. Um, it seems like it might cause a little bit of an impedance problem with high-speed data, but mm, maybe not. We'll see, we'll see. But um, anyways... But, I mean, they're saying that they're going to have an HDMI to lightning adapter. For output. Right. What's interesting to me is the potential of, you know, HDSDI to USB 3 in a future. Obviously, this is a notional future in which iOS devices have generic USB drivers and things like that. But And, and are useful for creating things and not just consuming. Right, right, right. But, I mean, when, I mean we had the dot connector for almost 10 years. Um, I assume we're going to have the lightning connector for at least that long uh, in some form or the other. And so it's exciting to think a few years down the road that this might be a way to get really high-speed data into iOS devices. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if, it, you know, Thunderbolt would be nice. Agreed. But we'll see. I don't know. Um, That's all I got. 16 by 9. Yeah. Woo. 
I'm excited to hold it though. Everyone says it feels pretty awesome in your hand. Yeah. So that's what she said. And the speed will be nice. That's what she said. <laughs> I'm, I'll stop. Mom listens. Um, that's what she said. <laughs> 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 Speaking of USB devices, no, speaking of Thunderbolt devices, let's jump down to Blackmagic at IBC. IBC was last week or two weeks. I don't know. IBC, everything's coming out. We got IBC and then Photokina. Between the two of those, everybody's releasing everything all at once. And I haven't really kept up on most of it. But Blackmagic had many attractive products. Yeah, so they... How many Ultra Studio devices did they have? Like 15? Six or seven. Okay. But they now, yeah, they added a 4K rack-mounted thing. Um, I don't understand why they put it in a rack-mount enclosure. Um, But otherwise, it's neat. I like it. Right. This is the first 4K Thunderbolt device. On a laptop. With a rack. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mac Mini. Yeah, I just... But... Uh, yeah. uh, I agree. I agree. But whatever. I guess they don't really want you putting cards in... Maybe, They're fine with that. I mean, you can always put a Decklink 4K in a Sonnet box. I guess. Feel free. Some of our users are doing that. But that's, yeah, okay. Those are a little bit more portable. It's at least a different shape. I don't know that it's, you know, substantially more portable. But um, one thing I I didn't notice, and I don't feel like looking at the post right now, is whether the Ultra Studio has an internal power supply. I would assume it does in a 4K form factor, so it's just a... uh, In a rack mode, yeah, I would guess. Yeah, I would assume it's just a uh, IEC cable out the back. Yeah. So that's nice, at least. Yeah. Although, I mean, we were, one of our users was asking about this the other day. He wanted to do like an onset thing. Yeah, it's got, yeah, it's got a, uh, like a Molex on the back. Sure. Um, there's not, I mean, for all of these nice laptop solutions, none of them are the other, I mean, I guess uh, AJA is the only one that, the uh, the IOST is the only one that can be easily powered off battery. Well, but aside from the Ultra Studio 4K and the Ultra Studio 3D, all the Blackmagic devices are bus powered. Are they? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. The Ultra Studio Express, the Intensity Thunderbolt, and both of the new mini guys are bus powered. Oh, remind me after this to write um, Marcelo. I told him on Twitter. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh. He was asking, and I told him. I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. Because I told them the 3D didn't. Yeah, the 3D isn't, and the 4K isn't, but everything else is. Oh, cool. Um, you probably still want to be then plugging your laptop into power. But, oh, right. But. Um, yeah. So, anyways, the more exciting thing from Blackmagic are two little mini adapters that are um, very similar except they're not, to um, the AJA T-Tap, which was announced back at NAB. Uh, the T-tap right, so they is, have a T-Tap competitor. 
Right. The TTAP is an output, so it's to run your resolve monitor out to an external display, for example, um, Thunderbolt to HDMI. Right. And Blackmagic announced one of those. They also announced an input, which is super exciting because it's, what, 150 bucks. Yeah. This is nice. This will be... This would be a great little package for on-set monitoring. Yeah. Bus-powered, HDSDI, and HDMI. Right. For for the vast majority of users, this is all you need in terms of monitoring and capturing uh, for your, you know, using a scope box, for example. Yeah. I mean, we toyed with the idea for a while of shopping around. To build um, exactly this. Yeah, to build that. And it doesn't seem like it's worthwhile or necessary anymore. No. I, somehow I'm guessing Blackmagic has the scale advantage. Yeah, I think so. Um, but no, this is super exciting. So we'll be ordering some of these to play with in-house and would encourage, um, you know, Scopebox users or notional Scopebox users to uh, give these a try if you're thinking about a way to get a source into your computer. Uh, these look like a really great solution. Yeah, definitely. So... Good on Blackmagic on that one. Um, more news about their cameras as well. We won't get into, but if you're interested in the Blackmagic camera, uh, there continues to be streams of information. They just posted a bunch of updates on shipping progress and firmware update progress and that kind of jazz. No. Um, what else do we want to talk about? We want to go through Sony's stuff. Uh, Sony released a ton of cameras. I honestly can't keep track of because they they were releasing cameras at IBC and then they showed up at Photokina and released more new cameras. Right. I mean, they had different product lines. Right. But, but full sensor cameras and ENG cameras and I don't even know. But well, a couple a couple of nice ones. Yeah. Yeah. We can link to um, Phil's roundup of the sort of more video centric ones. Um, but yeah, Sony really. Dropped a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. It just seems like they could really um, benefit from 30% less product line. I, uh, I agree. I mean, I honestly, it's it's tough as we've talked about because there are so many great camera choices. It's tough to even get a sense of the landscape. Even if you sort of right. know the, the particular product space you're interested in. Right. But, I mean, at least, like, with Canon, you're like, oh, yeah, on a C300. But now yeah. they've got a C100 and a C500 as well that are differentiated in, you know, very small ways. Yeah, I suppose. It just seems like you want there to be, like, I don't know. Like, you want people to go into B&H and say, do I want this camera from you know, competitor A or this camera from competitor B, and you don't want the guy to be like, well, if you're going with competitor B, you've got these other 12 things you need to consider too. Like that, I would immediately go, okay, camera A. Yeah. And, and I mean, what makes it even more difficult is that there be even between brands, it's really tough to differentiate because they all look amazing. Um, they all have very similar workflows and format supports. And especially in, you know, as we're increasingly shooting log and things like that, you're going to grade all your footage anyways. So it doesn't even matter like whether it's a Sony look or a Canon look, cause you know, you're going to change it anyways. Right. Um, so I don't really know. I mean, it, obviously there are, there are different form factors and different ergonomics and things, but it's tough. You know, if you've got any, you know, anywhere between, you know, 1500 and, 
$20,000 to spend, you can, you know, at any price point in between there, you are overwhelmed with good choices. Yeah. Um, G- Panasonic also made the GH3 official. We talked about this last week, so there's nothing much more to say, but I'll throw a link to the official announcement in there. It's pretty much everything we thought it would be based on the leaks. Yeah. Let's I mean, the big camera. thing is, the, did we talk about the new video? The iframe-only mode? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It has that. Yep. Like we said. Yep. It might. It does. Indeed. Okay. Um... Did you look at this software radio hacking? Uh, I think I'm. I think you sent me this link earlier in the week. Uh, yeah, we've, um, and we've talked about stuff like this before. This is a guy who's taking a off-the-shelf USB TV tuner, a very affordable one, with a soft radio, and using the GN GNU uh, radio project to basically hack the tuner chip to be able to tune not just TV channels but other frequencies as well, and use it as just sort of a generic software radio. Yeah, so actually I met a guy who was doing this, Um, and what it turns out is this specific um, little USB doohicker is actually just a data dump of, like, it doesn't actually have a tuner built in, so their drivers always did the tuning. And so what it does is it, you know, it was already designed for software-defined, you know, radio, but not, you know, radio in the radio wave sense, not the KFOG sense. Right. Um, But, and so, yeah, so basically over USB, you just get all the junk, and then what you can do is you can find... You can tune a specific frequency by just doing a Fourier transform on all of the data. And it sounds like it kind of works. Um, yeah, I mean, you're limited at the high range. Uh, I think they only go up to a couple hundred megahertz. Right. Yeah, you're always limited on both sides, and you're always limited by the fact that, you know, in general, it's a good idea to have an antenna that is a multiple or a fractional multiple of your frequency. Right. Um, which obviously you can't do if you don't pick a frequency beforehand. Um, but yeah, it seems interesting. I mean, this is definitely going to, as processors become more and more affordable, well, and we've, we've, been, we've been, you know, nerds have been introduced to some of this in the past couple of weeks with the introduction of the iPhone 5, which has software radios. And so they've got... What? Well, I mean, my understanding is that the way they're doing this, because the iPhone 5 supports, um, you know, in any given model, it supports four bands of GSM, a bunch of bands of CDMA plus LTE operating at frequencies anywhere from 700 megahertz to 2100 megahertz, plus Wi-Fi, two two channels of Wi-Fi, 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz plus Bluetooth. Um, And they're doing that with just two antennas and software tunable uh, Hmm. radios. So those aren't specifically supported SOCs? Right, that's my understanding. Oh, my assumption was that it had sort of a grab bag SSC. I, I don't think so, but, you know, it, we'll have to see a bit more once they're torn down. 
but yeah. um, part of the explanation for why, for example, the iPhone 5 on Verizon doesn't do simultaneous voice and data is that they wouldn't, they don't have enough antennas to be able to do that. Right. Um, but that they're, you know. Interesting. I would think that would still be much too power intensive. There's a lot of math involved in that. Yeah. But I don't know. So you can get much cheaper with silicone. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see once someone's torn down both a Verizon and AT&T version, whether there are actual, like, stamping differences on chips or whether this is all just firmware being blown in or how they're doing some of that as well. Yeah. Um, We can skip the animation stuff maybe for this week and come back to it next week and maybe have more to say about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How are we doing on time? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what do you got for a chatter? Well, my chatter this week is a PC World piece about um, the shadowy underground of Korean monitor sales, um, about buying no-name LCD monitors uh, from eBay from Korea. Apparently, it's a thing. Uh, There are a bunch of small resellers on eBay that will sell you a 27-inch IPS, so the good kind of LCD monitor, for under $400. And what you get is an LCD with, you know, a brand you've never heard of um, with buttons that aren't labeled, uh, but ostensibly a pretty decent panel coming out of Samsung or one of the other big Korean LCD manufacturers. Um, you know, you have to come up with your own power plug because they don't come with a U.S. power plug and whatever, but apparently the actual display, which is what you care about, looks pretty decent. And I think that's interesting mostly because uh, we are, I think, all at heart monitor uh, enthusiasts. We all sort of like the idea of more monitors and the idea that you can get a 27-inch, which is equivalent to the Apple Cinema Display uh, monitor for, you know, 350 bucks is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's always been deals you could get on the on non Apple variants. I yeah, mean, I mean, what's interesting here is that their IPS displays. You know, mm-hmm. for a long time people were buying you know the cheapo Dell displays, but they were they were fine for browsing the web. But they were, and I had a bunch. They were really crappy displays. Huh. Um, these are panels that are said to be you know every bit as good or nearly as good as the Apple displays. Interesting. Um, so, I don't know. I, I don't need or have space for another one. But even despite that, I sort of looked at it and said, I should... Eh, no, I guess not. Um, we shouldn't build, a, like, an NAB booth entirely out of this. Well, it's, you know, more reasonable at 350 a monitor than at 1,000 a monitor, but still not that reasonable. Yeah, but... Yeah, but... The entire... Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Every surface made out of, like, build, like, the tables out of them and everything? Yeah, why not? Just bare panels and then cover it all with plexiglass? That'd be pretty wicked. And then just, like... Display solid colors? No, display nothing but, like, a a wallpaper made out of, um, like, off-white on white. um, What's the... That, like, Victorian, like, floral pattern called? Um... Lace? Mm, no. Um, no. These aren't... You're, like, talking fashion stuff. Um, I'm not going to come up with it. But we should do that. 
Yes. Yes, I agree. And they'll just slowly move a little bit. <laughs> and then and then every like thirty seconds it'll all go black and say Scobas <laughs> Uh to buy a license a trap code, I'm telling you. Or how about we just run occasionally run a um a spider? Like a little spider uh, walking across the table. Uh, no, I'm not sure that will help our sales numbers. Wow. Let's do this. Yeah. So everyone will be backed by a small Apple TV, which will hack yeah. and run. They've got HDMI out, right? Yeah. Okay. So HDMI out, Apple TV, sync them all, run a custom like Quartz Composer. Has anyone hacked the new Apple TV? I think they have jailbroken it, but I don't think it's a particularly popular device for hacking. But you can, like, run an iOS app on it, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, perfect. But, I mean, you know, we're not talking... Why don't we just do a Mac Pro with a whole bunch of, like, USB to display port adapters? Just one machine. You think you can get that many? Yeah. Yeah? You think their drivers are good enough for that? Yeah. No problem. Okay. Let's try it. Okay. Give me your credit card. Mm, I don't want to give my credit card to Korean black market. It's gray market, Mike. Gray market. Same thing. Uh, what's your chatter? Uh, mine is a book that I want to buy, which is not actually a book, but a piece of art. Which is a eight inch by eight inch by eight inch air quote book, which was offset print and it contains the entire RGB cube printed on every single page. So every page, if if you took the RGB 3D cube and sliced it in into bands and then printed each one of those planes on a page on both sides of the paper and then bound it all together and then printed the top and the bottom plane on the bindings, you would have this book. And it's pretty awesome. It does look pretty cool. Do you think they printed it CMYK? I would assume they had to. It's it's crazy. It's so cool. Um... It, I want it. It looks like it must be expensive, given that the guy in the photo is using gloves. Um, I don't know if that's why they're using... I don't know. It looks like it's a one-off thing. Yeah, did they print more than one of these? No. So you can photograph it with the camera that Johnny Ive is designing for Leica? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Speaking of expensive one-offs. No, this looks really cool. I, would, I looked uh, at it, and they're not selling it. No. Oh. I would I would Amazon Prime this right now if it was available. Yeah. Maybe I'll get an ebook of it. Well you could just print your own. You've got a color printer. True. Mm, it's the binding that'll be tough. You just take it to Kinko's. <laughs> sure. How many pages did they say? Um, I don't it's know. It's got to be tough to bind an eight-inch thick a square, a cube. Yeah. yeah, cubes are not really. Yeah, they don't say. Huh. What's eight inches of paper? I mean, a ream of paper is how many pages? Five hundred. 
So five hundred is what? So like one and a half. So like four thousand pages or two thousand pages? Yeah, that's not that bad. It's not horrible. Yeah, could be done. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do one for each. Let's do one for sRGB and one for Adobe RGB, <laughs> Apple RGB. And, and put page numbers so you can look up. We yeah, can do cross conversions. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we'll have to print another book of just cross-reference matrix. Yeah. yeah. That's a good idea. All right. Well, uh, that was our show for this week. But we'll be back next week for reels because there's more stuff to talk about. Yes. And I'll talk about my iPhone. And Mike will talk about how he's too grumpy to get a new iPhone. Yeah, I don't need one. I'm good with my four... I mean, they're going to kick you out of the city pretty quick, you realize. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it'll, I'll be okay. All right. See you next week. Adios.